Let's open our Bibles to Luke 16 this morning. Title of my study is Faithful in Small Things. A lot of this story, this section we're in, is about our faithfulness and our stewardship over money. But it's about more than just money. It's in this whole area of whatever resources God's put in your hands, you're learning uh, the fact that it's God who has given you everything that you have. Do you know that? Yeah. Everything that you have. So often we think, well, this is my life. And I'll share a little bit of it with other people. Or I'll give some to the church. And as we grow, we realize that everything that we have, everything, the very breath you take, was given to you from the Lord. People will say, well, I made my own way. And each of us, I believe God is preparing you for, if you are willing, more responsibility. I love that idea. I love the idea that God could take, could take my life and do something with it more than just finding a career, and doing all the usual things in life. People are desperately urgent to find what, what really is their purpose in life. It's a basic need in humanity. And we grow and grow into our capacity for God to even use our lives. You give of finances, and we pray that the Lord provides enough for the financial needs of the church. And that's through you. And we pray each week, Lord, bless these finances that come in. And like the loaves and fishes, we say, Lord, I don't have a lot, but here's what I have. A few loaves and fishes. And we pray every week that the Lord would take what you give and multiply it. And it's amazing to see how the Lord pays the bills with the loaves and fishes that you give. And you might think, well, I don't have a lot, but I'm going to go ahead and give this. But more than that, as we talk about finances and generally stewardship today, I want you to be open to the idea that everything you have was given to you. And in what you do have, you're learning to be a good steward of it so that God can bless you with more. Do you know that? God wants, here is a huge lesson for me as I was learning ministry. I don't have to beg God to bless me. He wants to bless me. But he wants to do it in a way that I can handle that was like a major revelation in my life. When I'm ready, God gives me the next thing. I have three daughters. We have three daughters. I wanted them all to drive when they were 16. I didn't want to keep driving them all over Beaverton and Hillsboro and Portland. And, you know, Amazingly, even on my low salary, the Lord provided a couple of free cars. 
through people, families in the church. And we were able to then, you know, let our, our kids drive and they could drive to school or wherever they needed to go. And I, that reminds me of one day, our youngest daughter, Sarah, uh, called us on a rainy, uh, a rainy day, late in the day after school. And she says, mom, dad, we were in the car on our phones. I, I just ran into my math teacher. She literally ran into her math teacher. <laughs> it was super rainy. She hit the brakes. The car just slid, and she had an accident with her math teacher. And um, I want my kids to handle that, that big responsibility, the keys, the keys to the car, the keys to the kingdom. Do you want that for yourselves, kids? Do you want more responsibility? That's a yes or no question. You're not sure what the right answer is. You're going, I'm not sure. In verse 10 of Luke 16, Jesus says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And so we take what we have and we bring it and the Lord uses it. I think of even the rummage sale, things that you've had in your house you're going to bring and the Lord's going to kind of use that to bless other people. True story, a church put an announcement in the bulletin for a rummage sale they were going to have and uh, I was trying to remember it. I think if I remember right, the announcement said something like, uh, oh, don't forget the church rummage sale. Bring those unwanted things lying around the house. Don't forget your husband. <laughs> I was remembering this morning about all of the ways the Lord has prepared me to do this. And how natural it feels for me now to stand in front of you and teach a Bible study and speak. Um, but I was really the quiet kid in my house. Because I grew up in a dysfunctional house, uh, I dealt with that by being invisible in my house as a child. I would be quiet and my parents' friends would say, wow, Terry is such a well-behaved child. I wasn't well-behaved. I was afraid of getting hit. And those things stunt your growth. And so I was really in the background. But the Lord had other plans for me to stand in front of people. And, and I think I've shared, it's my family's joke, my extended family, that it's my career now to stand in front of people and speak. I remember one of the ways that God helped move me forward. I was in England on tour with a band I was with out of Southern California, and we would go play concerts. It was a Christian band. We would do concerts in a public school, in the public schools around uh, West Yorkshire, Bradley, Otley, Ilkley, all these towns you've never heard of. Um, and we were in this, we would go do assemblies for hundreds of kids. And then our band and our extended group, which was about 40 high school kids, 
from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We would break up into small groups and go into their uh, religious education classes. We don't have those in America, but they do in England, RE class. And we would do a big concert, and then a few of us would go into the different uh, classrooms and answer questions and share the gospel a little more. And I went along in my little group to one of the classes, and I wasn't doing any talking at all. I was standing in the background, and one of the other guys in our group, a guy named Chuck Butler, a pastor, he was sharing the gospel in the class and answering questions, and suddenly he had a coughing fit, and he couldn't recover, and he just kind of points at me and says, Terry, why don't you take over? I'm going, what? Whoa. I'm just here to play drums. I was probably 27 or 28 years old, and the Lord suddenly put me on the spot. And I had to get okay with that. I did that to somebody in team prayer this morning. Michael, where are you? That was on purpose. Little bits of responsibility. So you go, okay, I'll do this or I won't do this. If you're faithful with the little things, then God enables you to be faithful in the bigger things. At verse 1, follow with me, Luke 16. He also said to his disciples, now Jesus is still at a Pharisee's house. Remember, he was asked to have, have supper at a Pharisee's house back in Luke 14. We're still in that situation. So now Jesus talks to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. That's the resources God has put in our hands. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. The steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to him, said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill, write 80. So the master, notice this, the master commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. This is kind of an odd story because we read the story, an unjust steward he is, is to care for all of the master of the house's goods. The master of the house goes away, leaves him in charge. And if you're not picking up on the story, we are the stewards of the household of God. The Lord has left us in, char in charge, gone away, and he expects us to be responsible with the, the, the abilities that he has given to us. And when the master returns, he hears that the steward has been unfaithful 
And quickly, the steward thinks, well, I better do something fast. Because as soon as I get put out of the house, I need somewhere to go. So he quickly, here's the lesson, uses his situation to prepare for the future. Now, it's a funny story because we're thinking that wasn't really the right thing to do, was it? To just go and cut the debts that were owed to his master. But there is simply a one simple lesson in this parable. And that is he was using his present situation to prepare for the future. Jesus is not telling a story to say it's okay to be a flake. He's saying, think about what's been put in your situation right now, and where is this going? He was unjust, but he was shrewd. And that is the core lesson that I believe Jesus wants us to learn. And even Jesus says that even the people in the world, the sons of the, in the world, are often more shrewd than those of the kingdom of God. In verse 9, he says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. So there is a bigger picture. Our stewardship now prepares us for the next life. And we've talked a lot about that. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And here's the phrase we all know, you cannot serve God and mammon. Good stewardship. Now, mammon was just the name of a god of greed and money. It wasn't just a generic or another word used at the time for money. It was a god of greed and possessions. And literally, the money, the material things, become like a god that rules over us. Pastor Chuck used to talk about idolatry, and people would think, well, we don't have idols. Do we have idols today? Now, it's easy to say, well, we're so, we're so advanced from civilizations that had idols that sacrificed to them and burned incense to them and bowed before these idols. We don't have these idols. But literally, if you go back into ancient civilizations for every master passion in life, whether it is possessions or power, glory, there was a God that represented that master passion of life. And we're all aware of the master passions that drive us, aren't, aren't we? 
We don't have the gods representing those master passions, but we still are ruled by those very same master passions in life. And here is one example. If you wanted and coveted things, you sacrificed and prayed to the god Mammon. Well, we're, we're so developed now, we don't have the god Mammon. We just go straight to the master passion, and we're still ruled, ruled by this need for more money, things. And we always think, well, as soon as I get enough, then I'll, then I'll stop, right? We, we, we tell ourselves those things. As soon as I get enough money, then I'll have time for the things of God. Now, the question is, how much is enough? Nobody knows. And so Paul wrote to Timothy and said, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. The promise of more money is then I will be able to relax. Then I will have contentment. But the lie of the God of Mammon is just a little more and then you will have contentment. Now, I really admire people who have that capacity to, to, it's like money finds them, opportunity finds them, and they just talk about it like, well, I just did this, and I just did this. There's such a, a wisdom and an, just like this capacity for earning wealth. It's amazing. As Solomon said that that capacity is a gift from God. But then he said, often those who even have that capacity aren't able to enjoy the riches that came. And then he says, even the ability to enjoy, to enjoy what God has given you is also a gift from God. He wrote of that in Ecclesiastes. Paul said that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Occasionally, you'll hear people say that money is the root of all evil. It's not. Money is like a lot of things in this world. It's just neutral. It's us who distort it. It is the love of money. It is the love of money. Uh, when I was a teenager, drums were evil because I wanted to play drums. And my mother thought, oh, those instruments that play rock music, they're evil. They're just instruments. Back in the 50s, movie theaters were evil. You know that? If you're old enough, you know that. Because that's worldly. That was the, it was symbolic of, of what the world was. So we, we tend to demonize or vilify these things that are really neutral in the world. Unrighteous mammon, by nature, money is not good or evil. It's our love of it and how we allow it to rule over us. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I love what money can accomplish. Money provides for the ministry through you. Money cares for the poor. Money um, provides for your family. When we have our, a right relationship with money, is what Jesus said, make friends with unrighteous mammon. And 
all, all of a sudden, rather than money ruling over you, you are ruling over your money. Instead of you working for it, it's working for you. And if you've listened to financial planners, you know there's one particular one that that's kind of his catchphrase. Instead of you working for money, make money work for you. Make, it, make the money invest and pay you. And just to expand this whole idea of stewardship and money, really, I want you to see that your whole life is about God giving you resources, you learning to manage that, that bit to bless you, your family, the church, your neighbors, and then God is increasing your capacity to handle more. And then through all of your whole life, God is directing his power and his resources for you to make an impact in the world around you. Pastor Chuck used to talk about how there are various outlets of spiritual power in our life. Prayer accomplishes things. We pray and accomplish things through the power of God. Our words spoken to people. Sometimes I think, well, as a preacher, what, what am I doing? I'm not building anything. I'm not making anything. I'm not running a business, although I have to run the church along with the staff. But it's, what I, it's my words, mostly, is what I'm doing that's impacting lives. And how I have to say the right words at the right time. Our service is an outlet of God's power to other people. Your acts of service, your giving is actually something that God does through your life that impacts our community and the church. The spiritual gifts God has given to you. Now, Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. And so you're deciding as you're growing in the Lord, which one you're going to serve. You're going to serve the Lord and use these resources to serve the Lord, or you're going to take the blessings that God has given you and use it to merely gratify yourself. As you are growing every day, in fact, you are making that decision. Do you remember how the word of God says you are to daily deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus? That concept of taking up your cross is your calling. Now, Jesus' calling was the literal cross, but yours is something else. The very thing that he asks you to do for me to do this is my calling. So whatever it is in your life, as a parent, uh, your, your occupation, your service here at the church, you're thinking, I accept it. I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. And I could do other things, but I'm going to deny myself and do this. And as your pastor, I want you to know, I probably say that phrase a lot, don't I? I don't mind repeating myself. I want you to know exactly what I'm thinking. I look at all of you and I think, what is it that God 
desires to do through your life that I don't see yet. He sees it. And I see little glimpses of it along the way in the past year that I've been here. I see little glimpses of somebody get excited about ministry, then they forget about it and drift off. Then they get excited a little more, then they drift off. They get excited, hey, I'll do that, and then they drift off. It's kind of like, you know, one of my, my grandson helping me with yard work. He gets excited, and then he goes, I'm tired. And I'm, I'm saying, the job's not done yet. And I pray my desire is to increase your capacity. Not to put a burden on you and to dump a burden on you. Oh, you're not doing enough. Oh, you're not giving enough. Um, but really to give you this anticipation of bigger and better things. And to look at everything around you and say, wow, that came from the Lord. How can I use that for the Lord? Am I even using it for the Lord? Now, bigger than just money, which is what the story is about, we are also stewards of time. Do you have a calendar? Ephesians 5, 15 to 18 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord, what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what it means to walk circumspectly? Circumspect is like circle. Look around you and pay attention. You see people walking down the street, texting and driving. Texting and walking. Someone almost ran into me yesterday because they were texting. They looked up and saw that I was standing right in front of them. And I said, oh, you're texting and driving. In all these important things you're doing, look around you and don't waste opportunities. Opportunities are coming your way. Be a steward of your time. We're stewards of the God-given gifts and abilities. Every one of you have an amazing talents that God has given you. Talents are the natural things you were born with. Spiritual gifts are the things that God has given to you as a child of God. You are given them and you're to be a steward of how you use those things. First Peter 4, 10 and 11, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's a great phrase in the Bible, the manifold grace of God. It means the abounding supply of God's abilities and resources. They're abounding, the, the manifold grace of God is just abounding toward you. 
whenever you feel like, oh, poor me, and I don't have anything, and I can't do that, you are not really aware of the supply of God's grace. It's abounding toward you if you will be aware of it and by faith use it. We are stewards of the gospel, this message that we share. First Thessalonians 2.4, Paul said, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel or the good news, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. In verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they derided him, Jesus. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Ouch. You justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, that sounds strange for him to just tack that on at the end. But he's simply supporting the bigger picture of what's happening is that we can't fool God. We put on but God sees the heart that we are all accountable to live by God's word. When Jesus says that not, not one tittle of the law, not one punctuation mark will be overlooked. Everything is there for a reason. We like to pick and choose, don't we? I don't really get that part. I'll just leave that to pastor Terry. We are all accountable We can't live outside God's word and expect for God to bless us. It's a simple, simple principle. Now, God's not waiting for you to fail. He's not waiting to crush you. He's not waiting to punish you. But he wants you to become more aware, more blessed, and to, again, increase in maturity, capacity, your ability to be used by him. Why does Jesus tack on that last part about divorce and remarriage? Because that was just an example of how the Jews were carelessly over, you know, overriding what was in God's word and doing whatever they wanted. And they just excused themselves. They just did whatever they want. And they had their nice little sayings of excuses for doing whatever they wanted. You know, as we wrap it up today, it's so important that you and I take these lessons, we understand the scripture, but we glean out of it the 
the absolute necessary principles that apply to our lives. Have you taken note that God has given to every one of you talents, time, treasures, and you are stewards of those things. He wants to increase your capacity, your ability, because he wants to work through you to bless your families, the church, the community. And what feels really difficult now, you will grow into it, and then God will bless you with more. It's amazing how God is just so patient with us. God sees your heart, sees my heart, all the ways that I say one thing and then maybe, you know, in areas of failure, excuse myself. And in every way possible, this church, we are aware of the time, talents, and treasures. The church calendar. The resources of serving capacities that you have. The money that you give. It all needs to be collected, used pulled together. And it's amazing, again, how the little bit that every one of us has comes together and it accomplishes something for the Lord. It's amazing. As we close this morning, I want to challenge you to, again, in a fresh way, present your life to the Lord. 